0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the Americas Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I am your host, Dr. Hal. Every week we come to you with the information that you need to arm yourself and uh, advocate for your family and for your health care. Um, we are supported by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, who brings you this show, and that um, is the only physician-led healthcare care think tank in the country uh, fighting for the doctor-patient relationship and health care freedom for all Americans. So please go to our website at wwwd d four pcfoundation.org that's the the number for pcfoundation.org and do that now and just give five dollars give ten dollars but you know what this your home many of you and uh you uh are looking for information and we're trying to supply that for you but we need your help so so uh please Uh, Give generously. Tell your friends about us and uh, like us on Facebook and uh, just uh, try to uh, uh, get the word out because what you're hearing right now from the media on what's going on is – In uh, the majority of the cases, a big fat pack of lies. And we're going to go ahead and uh, challenge some of these things on today's show as we enter week 10 of COVID. We've been talking about this for 10 weeks, and it has sucked out 100% of the oxygen from the room. You know, there was a time. Where I was I was uh, just hoping for some health care uh, news in the newspaper and people would uh, take up a health care issue. Nobody really seemed to be interested in talking about health care and uh, this is an example of be careful what you wish for because it may come true and now everybody is obsessed with health care. Everybody has become an amateur. Scientist, an amateur doctor, and has an opinion, and uh, you know this is um, uh, at a point right now where we we uh, need to critically analyze what is happening, and uh, the the whole issue regarding the COVID is um, going to be looked back upon in the future by. Historians by sociologists, and it's going to um, be a interesting uh, analysis of human behavior and motives, and what has happened, how we have ad- addressed um, this um, crisis, and and let me just um, say that COVID is real, COVID is tragic, COVID is a um, a worldwide uh, catastrophe that uh, has uh, really changed how how things are are uh, um, are going right now and going to uh, um, transpire in the future but you know I think that the um, response to what's going on right now is is um, now unfortunately media driven we're going to Go more into that in a minute, but I, I everything that that I have been talking about, that people have been talking about, seems to now be in the in the forefront of discussions. Whether it is uh, the nursing homes and the elderly, whether it is the silencing of doctors, whether it is uh, junk science. All of the things that we talk about as doctors, now it, these these are topics that are the mainstream uh, uh, topics of discussion on on uh, news on news shows um, on uh, opinion shows on in in newspapers. So I try to think about this a little bit differently and and uh, give this a different slant today, a different angle. And in thinking about what's going on in in terms of uh, COVID and how we uh, as a as a society um, are handling it, and and not not the world, I don't want to go into what's happening in in Europe or in China or in Asia. I just want to focus on what we are doing here in the U.S. I. Um, after giving this a lot of thought, I think that the best way to to frame what is happening can be um, summarized uh, by the work of the psychologists Kubler and Ross, the Kubler Ross um, scale of of grief of of loss. Um, you know, in America, things were booming. Everything was going great, despite the um, the noise from the media, which is the PR arm of the left. Um, things were going great. We had lots of distractions, of course. We had impeachment. We have the... Uh, uh, other false narratives by the left. Um, we have uh, the the corruption of the last administration regarding uh, um, the spying on an incoming administration, which is now coming to the forefront. But for the most part, things were going great. The stock market was at an all-time high. Consumer confidence was at an all-time high. We had record low unemployment in our country you couldn't hire a person because you couldn't find a person because it was full employment nobody was looking for a job um the uh the future looked so bright and rosy and then boom COVID hit and um we uh changed overnight literally in six weeks the stock market crashed businesses closed people lost their jobs they were forced to change their lives dramatically so we went from a place where we had something to a place where we had nothing and um and so that is typical of what happens when you lose your spouse, when you lose a parent or a child, or you get divorced, or even when you lose a job. That's that's part of the Kubler-Ross uh, view of grief or loss. And when we lose something so important, so significant and our way of life as Americans is what we lost. You go through stages of grief, stages of loss, and these are predictable, and they go, they, they happen over and over again, and you um, uh, see this happening right now in our society with the. Uh, Covid pandemic and the loss of our American way of life. The first stage is shock or denial, and people are, you know, saying, "Oh no, if this can't happen, this isn't really happening. Um, we'll we'll move on." You know, we we uh, heard that uh you know the talk at the beginning of all of this well you know this is just a short-term thing and we will um just make some adaptations and we will then get to the other side and then on the other side everything will be booming and we'll be back to normal well you know i think that we all realize now that that is not necessarily uh going to happen it's not going to be the case we're not going to see sports um which is an integral part of our our uh, the fabric of American culture, where we're not going to um, be seeing concerts live or seeing um, the the uh, going to uh, packed bars or or restaurants. Um, so there's denial. The next stage in the kubler Ross. Um, uh, uh, scale um, is anger. People are angry by what's happening, and of course, we're seeing we're seeing all of that. Um, there's one. There, there are other psychologists who have studied loss and studied grief who have added some things to the Kubler-Ross scale. And let me just go through them real quick, so so I have them out out there in front of you. It's denial and shock, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And some people have added some others, and they're sort of offshoots of those five basic categories. One, though, that they didn't have in there that is real and and needs to be added. So a sixth one to the five stages of grief by Kubler-Ross would be pain and guilt. And there are a lot of people who are experiencing pain and guilt from this whole um, episode of COVID. Guilt that they may have um, uh, contracted COVID and transmitted it to their family members, although uh, that doesn't always translate out. Clearly, Andrew Cuomo um, no, not Andrew Cuomo, but um, uh, the uh, his uh, brother. Uh, oh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the the CNN Chris Cuomo contracted COVID, and he gave it to his his wife and his son and uh didn't appear to su- to suffer any kind of uh guilt or any pain but there are a lot of people who who do people who may have inadvertently uh uh given it to uh an elderly parent and then th- then they died from this there's there's a lot of a lot of emotion that's tied up in what's happening right now and and people are experiencing it and it's real um so we we'll go going back to kubla russ there's the anger and the anger that's out there is is absolutely palpable um people are angry that they've had to change their lives <clears throat> there's um you know people who had to close their their Places of employment, we're seeing right now the ramifications of that, and what people are uh, doing and how they're responding to protracted shutdowns. Um, that anger is is um, something that many people have not worked through. They have not gotten through this because, in the stages of grieving, if you are stuck at any one of these stages then you dwell there and if the if the situation doesn't change and it continues to remain the way that it is life doesn't move on you can't get through the stages and so various people will be stuck at various points on the grieving scale <clears throat> some people have gotten through the anger and they're just depressed they are um, catatonic that's how depressed some people are I have a friend in um, in New York I have many people in New York where I'm originally from I' have a friend in New York who um, answers the phone you would think that they were um, th- that they were on drugs or that they um, had uh, just experienced a, a nuclear attack um, she's she is so depressed because everything is closed around her in New York and she is um, a shut in in her apartment in Manhattan and um, I, I, I honestly this is one of the most upbeat people that I know and uh, she is she's is absolutely, you know, just a basket case. Um, the next stage is bargaining, you know, it's, oh, you know, if you, in in the classic uh, stages of grieving, um, bargaining is, you know, oh, you know, if you... Uh, Oh God! It's make bargains with God. If you let you know, just uh, you know, get me through this. You know, I'll change my ways. I'll be I'll be a better person. I'll you know I'll I'll uh, I'll start uh, giving back to to charities and to to the downtrodden. You know, bargaining is a big part of moving through the grieving process, but the last stage is acceptance. And that's, that's probably an important part of uh, getting through grieving. Um, and that's important when you lose your spouse, when you lose your job, when you lose your home, when you lose something that is tangible. But when you lose your way of life, acceptance is not one of the um, healthy ways to get through the stages of grieving. And we are seeing that right now because people are not accepting what is happening because they know in their heart that this is phony. This is fake, not COVID, not the deaths that we're seeing, not the seriousness of this, but the response to it, the dealing with it, the science behind it, it's all phony. And people are smart enough now to realize that it's phony. In the in the stages of grieving, when you have death and you have worked through that and you accept that your loved one is no longer there, you cannot bring that person back. If you lose your job and you know that you're not welcome at work, you accept that because you're not going to get that job back. And so what do you do? You look for another job. Um, This is different. This is not healthy uh, grieving, not healthy uh, uh, transition through the, the stages of loss, this is this is not the end of our way of life. Let's move on to a new beginning. That's what the left wants to see happen. That's what the um, the uh, media is trying to tell people, and that is um, what we are now combating because the um the narrative now is this is the new normal. Let me tell you some things that I just came up with as far as a list of things that make me angry. And I will I will tell you that I'm one of the people who is stuck on that second stage of loss. I'm in the anger phase and I'm not angry about the disease being here. I am angry at the response, and and so I am along with millions of other Americans stuck on anger, and um, I, I want to just go through a list of some of the things that make me angry. I'm 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 tired of the platitudes and the 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 uh the 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 catch lines that we hear on tv and radio and in print all the time. I hate we're all in this together. We're not all in this together. Who who is the we who says we are all in this together? The the celebrities who are sitting home who are making videos and putting on concerts who are worth tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars living in beautiful mansions while you've got people who are living paycheck to paycheck who can't work who are stuck in a little um, 600 square foot apartment those people are all in it together I, I don't think so. Um, the people who are running hospitals, the hospital administrators who are sitting in their offices, sitting at home, managing the business of the hospital, while the doctors, especially the young doctors, who are totally unprepared for handling this, are thrown in front of these people COVID patients, um, much like um, putting 18-year-olds in the field in Vietnam to fight a war that uh, politicians in uh, Washington decided that they wanted to fight. Those hospital administrators are not all in this together. They're still making their high six and seven-figure salaries. While the doctors are actually being asked to take pay cuts, they are uh, being uh, fired, I'll tell you stories. I'm prepared with stories today to share with you. Um, I have a friend, very close friend of mine, in Atlanta, who has uh, worked tirelessly, for the last twenty-six years, to build up a medical practice in surgical oncology, it's probably one of the best in Atlanta, and he uh, sold his practice to the hospital that he worked at, like so many other doctors did. And I, I warned him. I said, "Don't do this. This is a bad idea." And he. Told he responded no no my hospital's different my hospital is a good hospital we're we're partnership we work together we are uh you know a a uh we we've got a long-term vision and uh to make a long story short that hospital sold to another hospital system and they fired him last week and um this is, this is the gratitude that somebody gets from a hospital um, getting fired during a COVID pandemic when he is actually going to the hospital and taking care of these patients. And they fired him because they were trying to cut costs. And he was the yeah the highest producer but also the highest earner in the surgery department and um you know they the people who are making decisions in in the uh, c-suite um decided that that would be acceptable losses so we are not all in this together um so i'm i'm tired of that I'm tired of hearing that this is the new normal. This is not the new normal. I refuse to accept that. Um, This is what the left wants you to believe. This is what their PR arm, the media, is perpetuating to people. The more you say something, the more people will accept it as a truth. And this is not the new normal. I will tell you that this disease is now with us. It is in our biome. What does that mean? It means that just like the flu, just like adenovirus, which is the common cold, just like rotovirus, which is traveler's diarrhea, this virus, which is a new virus, is among us it is not going anywhere and so as as um, as part of the response to this this virus we have to adapt we have to do some things to make um, us be able to function knowing that this disease is in, our environment. It is in our biome. And that means that we have to have a strategy because it's not going away. And the strategy involves mitigation, which is what we are doing in our medical practice. We're back to opening up our offices and seeing patients, but we're doing it with With controls in place. We are um, checking patients when they come in. We're taking their temperature. We are um, uh, making sure that they are asymptomatic. We are um, wearing masks. We are cleaning surfaces. We are social distancing. We are spacing our patients. They are um, not waiting in our waiting room. They're checking in and going back to their car and getting called in if they're n- we're not ready for them to come back up to the office when we are ready for them. We are doing everything that we possibly can to make things as safe as possible for people to function, and we're doing a really good job. And it is possible to operate in that arena with those safeguards in place. So that's what is meant by mitigation. We need to protect our vulnerable populations. In Sweden, they didn't shut down. They told people who were elderly or who were immunocompromised to stay home for a while, but everybody else went about their business. They did not destroy their economy. Well, we can do the same thing. We can protect our vulnerable populations with mitigation and doing some common-sense things to try to reduce their exposure, Um, and, uh, we'll get back to the nursing home issue a little, a little bit later in this show. We need to open the economy, you know, as doctors, we have a responsibility to protect the health of our patients. That is our solemn oath. And we take that seriously and protecting the health of our patients doesn't, just mean making sure that they're free of disease, um, or or free of pathogens. Those are bugs like bacteria or viruses, or or uh, or other other uh, uh, diseases that are out there. But dis-ease means lack of ease, and mental health is a critical part of being a doctor and taking care of patients. And when the economy is shut down, people suffer from disease. They will experience problems with their mental health and suffer from suicide, or, or that's the extreme, but depression, anxiety, um, uh. Uh, they'll they'll resort to drugs and alcohol, and in the extreme cases, suicide. And our role as doctors is to protect our patients both from physical um, pathogens and from diseases that affect their mental health. So, as doctors, we owe our patients the the ability to keep them healthy, both of body and mind, and that means that the economy must open up, and that's part of the strategy to get back to where we need to be, and I'm going to go through some more of the strategy issues in the second half of the show, and you'll want to stay tuned because I've got a lot more to say. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Scherz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Doctors, we are back in the doctor's lounge. I'm Dr. Hal Schurz, your host. And what should we talk about today? Oh, COVID, of course. Let's talk about COVID some more. All right, before I go Back into my Debbie Downer um, of what makes me mad and how we get through this. Let me let me share some good news because you don't hear any good news from the media, which are lapdogs for the left and just really have have um, abandoned their their responsible role in in civil society. They they should be ashamed of themselves um, and and just not even call themselves news people or journalists anymore because they're not. And um, let me uh, let me share some good news with you. Death rates are coming down. They are. You don't hear about that. What you hear about is the number of new cases or the number of aggregate cases. And um, why are cases still going up in some places? Well, it's because we're testing more people. And the more people you test, the more people you're going to uncover who have the disease. You can have asymptomatic carriers. Unfortunately, this happened with my friend's uh, mom who had a caretaker who was an asymptomatic carrier, and she developed COVID and is now in the hospital um, in uh, in in White Plains, New York. Um, so this is this is uh, important. Testing people is important so that we can identify who has this disease and keep them away from at-risk populations. But the death rate is coming down. The death rate. Is one of the metrics that we should be watching, not the number of cases, um, and the, it's the death rate. It's the number of people who require ventilators, and um, and those are those are um, important metrics. Let me share with you what the death rate in New York is right now, as of yesterday. The death rate is zero point one four percent. 0.14%. In New York yesterday, there were 147 deaths per 1, 100,000 people. Or I'm, I'm not saying that right. Yesterday, there were 135 new deaths. 135 new deaths. What does that mean? That means that the deaths have gone down to one-tenth, almost one-tenth of where they were just um, uh, five weeks ago, on April 9th, when it peaked at 1,028 deaths. Even from one week ago, there were 279 deaths in New York. And now, this, as of yesterday, there were 135 deaths. So that's about a 75% decrease in the number of deaths in just a week. And this is what we're seeing all throughout the country. Um, The death rates in the um, top six states, which are New Jersey at 0.12%, Connecticut at 0.1%, those are deaths per 100,000 people. Um, There are only six states that as of yesterday had more than 50 deaths. Um, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, um, Washington, D.C., and Louisiana. Michigan and Rhode Island um, had exactly 50. Pennsylvania, 36. Illinois, 35. Maryland, 34. The majority of states in this country have 10 or less. This is... The reason why there is cause for optimism, and this is why the narrative of the left and of the media does not carry any weight. Um, in in uh, New York City, the epicenter of of uh, the Western Hemisphere regarding COVID, the number of deaths um, are a hundred and ninety one per um, 100,000, that's aggregate, that's total. That's not the number of new deaths. That's the aggregate number of deaths. When you break it down by age, and that's really what you want to do, you are seeing that the majority of these deaths are occurring in individuals that are over 75 years of age, at 1,427 per 100,000. In the age group, 65 to 74, that number goes down to 574 per 100,000. In the 41 to 64 age group, 174 per 100,000. And 18 to 44-year-olds, just 18 per 100,000. Under 18, less than one per 100,000. So it's really important not to paint things with a broad brush, but do this surgically. Look at these populations strategically and figure out how do we protect those who need to be protected while letting the um, country recover, knowing that there's some risk, but taking mitigation um, standards and... um, and other uh, other ways to try to reduce risk. Georgia, where I live, the death rate is sharply declining, and this is the state which was absolutely raked over the coals. The governor was for opening up Georgia, <clears throat> and he was um, viewed as a a buffoon at best, and as a war criminal. At, at worst, for opening up Georgia. And yet, the numbers of deaths in Georgia has plummeted. It is, as of yesterday, the number of people who died in Georgia was 17. 17 new deaths. That's the exact same number that we saw in Georgia on the uptick of deaths on March twenty-six when that number was going up and up and up. Well, now we're going down and down and down, and we're starting to get back to normal. There are more people who die in Georgia of homicides than of COVID as of yesterday. So I think that this is absolutely critical that we look at this through the correct prism and not look at it the way the media wants to portray it. And so part of getting back to where we need to be, beside mitigation, beside protecting vulnerable populations, beside opening up our economy for the mental health of individuals, is to number four, find suitable treatments. And Finding suitable treatments means keeping an open mind. It m- does not mean stifling or um, or uh, um, ridiculing anybody who has ideas that are different than the orthodoxy, the 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 views that the establishment, that the swamp wants you to believe, are the only answers. There's Always more than one answer to a problem in medicine, we find that all the time. You know, on my list of things that make me angry, one of the things on there is the great Fauci. Now, I think that he is a um, a, a wonderful, wonderful doctor who's devoted his life to. Um, fighting viruses and epidemics and pandemics, and he's smart as as, as all get go. But he's a doctor. He's got an opinion. As somebody who has been in healthcare for forty years, I can tell you that if you get five doctors in a room, you'll get fifteen opinions. Every doctor has an opinion, including Fauci, and he was wrong about COVID with the first three opinions. He said that, oh, it would not spread human to human. Then he said that, oh, it's going to be seasonal. It's no worse than the flu. Then he said that um, it's not going to come to America. He also said we shouldn't be wearing masks. I don't know if you remember the commercials in the early days just just a few months ago of COVID, when he and uh, Deborah Burks and the Surgeon General, among others, were saying, don't wear masks. And now you get fined in some places in the country if you're not wearing a mask. So he was not spot on. He was wrong about a number of things, but now that he's saying, well, the only way that we're going to see this problem go away is to shutter in place at home, which fits the media narrative. So because that piece of information is the, the one that they agree with, that's the one that they're going to accentuate and, um, and put Fauci on the pedestal as the as the um, uh, final word in how to deal with COVID, and he said himself that he's not. It's his opinion, and doctors have multiple opinions, and there are different ways of managing things. And chloroquine is one of those you know treatments that that um, work. There are hundreds, hundreds of doctors who have treated tens of thousands of individuals with chloroquine, which is safe. And the media wants people to believe it's not. Why? Why is the media doing this? Why are they saying that um, that people who are taking chloroquine are risking death? Why are they saying that doctors who are prescribing it are committing malpractice? Where does the media... Come off knowing this stuff. They are they are um, they are uh, amateur doctors. They're amateur scientists. This is an example of of bias and a little knowledge is dangerous. Chloroquine has been around for over sixty years, and it has a safety profile that is that is safer than Tylenol and ibuprofen. And it is, um, there's not a single drug that anybody puts in their body that doesn't have a potential risk, that doesn't carry with it the potential of harming a person, um, especially if they've got certain um, comorbidities, other problems that may uh, make them uh, more susceptible to getting a side effect. Every drug has side effects. And if you look at the inserts for every single drug that you take, you would not take a single drug because the list is as long as my arm. In addition, the people in the media who say that the, the FDA did not approve this drug for the use in COVID, first of all, the FDA is a organization that is again not the um, the uh, final word in in how to treat patients. Doctors are. And I treat individuals every single day of my career for the last uh, thirty two years taking care of children, prescribing drugs that are not approved, not approved by the FDA in children. Those are called off-label indications. And as a doctor, I know what's safe and what's not safe. I know what's going to work and what will help my patients. It's my decision. It is up to me as a doctor who has the best interests of my patients to be able to decide what drugs I want to use and when. And that's what's happening with chloroquine. And it is not Nancy Pelosi's job to to um, have an opinion about this. It is not the governor of Nevada who has made it impossible for doctors to prescribe it. This is between a doctor and their patient. And this is why we do not want government involved in healthcare, care. And that's something that I'm going to not go into right now. But this is a perfect example of why we cannot have government-controlled health care. So, so there are treatments that are being looked at. And when we have good treatments out there, then it'll be safe to go out. And if somebody gets sick, then you give them a treatment early on. You know, if somebody gets the flu and you wait until they've got a tube down their throat on a ventilator to give them Tamiflu—it's not going to work. But if you are starting to feel sick and you take the Tamiflu a couple of days into your disease, it, it's it's highly effective, and that's what we need for COVID. We need treatments because COVID's not going away. We need treatments so that if we get sick, we can take them and we can go about our business. We need a test, a good test, a reliable test. And they're being developed. There's about four right now that are um, are uh, in use. There's, um, I think, over 75 that are out there. Many are, the Chi- are Chinese that are absolutely unreliable. But some of the more reliable tests are out there. And I think it's very important to test for active disease. And it's also important to test for antibodies. Again, these amateur s- scientists in the media are now questioning whether or not antibodies really are going to protect you from another COVID infection for the next wave of COVID. And th- they are absolutely, you know, just, just so, so l- disingenuous and, and, and ignorant. And I wish that they would stay in their lanes because they are doing so much harm to our country. The whole concept of immunity—why we have vaccinations to measles and to mumps and to rubella and to and to um, uh, herpes um, or to to um, human papilloma virus—all different kinds of viruses that have um, immunizations—we rely on immunity. That is called. Um, that's that's active immunity or passive immunity. Um, these are when you are either you get sick and your body develops antibodies, and you've got now memory, so that if you see this germ again, your your um, cells, your immune cells, fight off the infection. That's what an immunization does. It it sensitizes your body to produce antibodies so that when that germ is presented to you again, that antigen, your body remembers it and it it fights it off. That's the whole purpose of immunity. And these clowns in the media have absolutely no clue about science and what immunity is. Now, we don't know if it's permanent immunity. That is true. And we don't know um, whether or not this covid virus is going to mutate and be um, different the next time around you know the flu virus has different strains because it's mutated so covid may may mutate but but um, but immu- immunity is immunity and and so finding finding uh, testing for antibodies is important and looking for a vaccination is important as well I must say that I'm you know encouraged by this these news reports about a new vaccine that is close to uh, being uh, able to go to phase two trials Phase two trials means that it gets used on a wider scale to make sure that it is safe and effective but up until now, None of the seven coronaviruses, COVID 19 is one of the seven. Um, there's not been any successful development of a vaccination for any of the COVID viruses. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it would be wonderful and a game changer if we could get a vaccination. But, I think the other steps that we talked about before vaccination are going to be very important in living with this new virus in our environment, in our biome. And then research. Research is going to be critical. We're going to be researching this virus for the next 50 years, just like we are, uh, we've are. we been uh, um, researching HIV. And uh, Ebola and other viruses that are um, deadly and highly uh, um, communicable that um, that are um, you know a danger to our planet. So that those are the things that are are going to allow us to get back to where we need to be. But the most important thing are developing new habits: frequent hand washing, cleaning um, common surfaces. Using um, um, uh, uh, the the hand sanitizers if you don't if you can't wash your hands um, and uh, when enough people have antibodies in their system and have herd immunity um, then we will be back to life as as normal. Um, we've got about ten minutes and I want to go through a few more of the things on my list. You know, Calvin and Hobbes, that cartoon, the the kid who is like always angry um, and has a scowl on his face. I feel like Calvin. You know, the, I have a little cartoon when I give a talk. It uh, has a little thought bubble from Calvin and there's a caption underneath. And the thought bubble has line, 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 line in the thought bubble. And uh, the caption says every day I add another name to the list of people who piss me off and that's how I feel right now I'm angry and 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 pissed off by how um, the media is responding to what's going on to the, the platitudes to the politicians on the left who want to see this um, continue as long as possible to inflict the most amount of pain on the American public because the more pain that people experience their calculation is that they will blame donald trump and they would rather see the the uh country burned to the ground than allow him to be president again and he has done a great job in this pandemic and don't let anybody tell you otherwise could things have been done differently yes could things maybe have been done a little bit better maybe but he has done a superb job and he's assembled a team of people that are, are experts and are doing a great job. And and the places where we're getting back into a normal life, um Texas, Georgia, Alabama, Florida have governors who appreciate the response from the federal government, and um, and realize that the death rates are coming down and that we have mitigation um, efforts um, that are working. It's not because we we huddled at home. Huddling at home was intended to do one thing, and that was flatten the curve. Flattening the curve does not mean eradicating the disease. The media is trying to make people think that that's what we need to achieve in order to get back to normal. We're never eradicating COVID. It's not going away. It's part of our environment, part of our biome. What we need to do is learn how to live with it. And the governors of those four states have done a great job in places where they've got totalitarian leadership, New York City with um, with uh, Comrade de Blasio, or New York State with Cuomo, um, uh, Illinois, uh, the um, uh, and incidentally, Cuomo and the governor of uh, Illinois, um, Wolf, not Illinois, that's Pritzker is Illinois, Wolf is Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania and New York, those governors um, uh, basically committed seniors to death sentences by sending COVID-positive patients who were elderly out of the hospital and back to their nursing homes. And so you don't hear any of the backlash against these um, these misguided politicians who are trying to uh, control people um for one reason only because they can and their calculus is that the more people suffer the more people will blame Trump and uh, the media is all too happy to help to perpetuate that narrative um, in my opinion that's on my list of things that make me angry it's the media who've perpetuated the biggest crime of the century by by um, not reporting any good news, only reporting bad news, and reporting misinformation, um, I'm tired of the. We salute the heroes. You know what? We're doctors, and we go out there and we do our jobs. What I'm that that plays into the, we're all in this together because we're not. And, and I think that doctors are truly heroes, regardless of whether they are going into the hospital and taking care of COVID patients or whether or not they voluntarily shut down their practices and um, uh, could not take care of sick people because they were trying to preserve resources in case we needed them. Which never were needed because the original estimates and models were a lie and they were off. And whether or not you want to say that it was done purposefully or accidentally is another issue. But we never got to the point where the system was overwhelmed, and yet doctors have shut down their practices, and the patients have suffered. Here's here's you know this story plays into this. My mother lives in New York. Her neighbor, next door neighbor died, not of COVID. She's eighty years she was eighty years old. She had chest pain. She was petrified to go to the hospital because she knew that if she went to the hospital, the media was telling her she would get COVID and die. So her daughter told her call an ambulance to go to the hospital and she refused. Her daughter drove up from Virginia, got her, her mother refused to go into the hospital in New York. She made her take her to Virginia, where they're from. They went to the hospital in Virginia. She died a couple of days later. People are dying, not necessarily because of COVID, but they're dying because they're not getting urgent problems taken care of, and they're not because the media is scaring them to death. And this is why they are part of the biggest crime of the century. I'm tired of Zoom. I'm tired of Zoom cocktail parties. This is just so it's so trite. It's so over over the top and and this is, you know, something that that nobody wants anymore. I'm tired of Joe Biden weighing in on COVID. He is the most out of touch person in America when it comes to this and he has absolutely no place saying anything about COVID. I'm tired of recording artists who are living in their mansions with net worth in the hundreds of millions of dollars doing free concerts and saying that we're all in this together. I'm tired of the House of Representatives not being in session. I'm tired of no people of uh, people with no skin in the game being paid and staying home and telling the rest of us to stay home when they have absolutely nothing to lose there's so much that's so wrong about what's going on and what's happening around the country right now with people finally waking up and being civilly disobedient is is going to overwhelm the the media in my opinion and we're going to get back to normal within the guardrails that we set up. So that's all I've got for today. And I want to thank you for letting me uh, rant and fill you in on some of the things that I'm uh, observing right now in this COVID crisis and come back to me in two weeks, but come back in a weekend and, and listen to my uh, co-host Dr. Scott on the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.